What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Final Four is not on the schedule. He is Rod, I am Cameron, and Michigan State wins again against number 22 ranked UConn, 64 to 60. Um, Rod, and, and this was this was something. This was uh, a really gritty performance. Um, really pressure-filled uh, free throws down the line that they hit. Um, but they get out to another good start in this one, um, nine to two, right out of the out of the gate there, uh, and then sort of give that lead a little bit away. Um, come into halftime with an eight-point um, margin, and UConn kind of storms back. Um, and MSU at one point down uh, 14, 13 or fourteen, I believe. No, uh, no, 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 no. It never, it never got that bad, but. Um, but they were, uh, I, I want to say that the highest margin was nine. Nine? Okay. I don't think they got it into double digits. And most importantly, it was seven with under five minutes to play. Right. And that, that's where you get worried there. It was seven. Sure. And, <laughs> uh, and then Gabe comes down and hits a three, um, and they kind of claw their way back with free throws, um, and defense, really. I mean, that's, 9-0 run to finish that off. Um, a great win. I mean, well, what was your I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add something to that. Yes, they hit some big free throws, but uh, they don't win that game without A.J. Hogard. Mm-hmm. A.J. Hogard made two fantastic plays for Julius Marble. One was a wraparound pass and the other was a transition feed to Julius in stride, which honestly was a 99th percentile play. That it, it was you could you could criticize him for taking the risk, but he made the play. I mean, it was pinpoint accuracy, and it was a high high degree of difficulty. Um, and then, of course, he he hit free throws, uh, drained them both, and that's not a given with AJ. Um, mm-hmm. on a controversial foul call that, that really played both ways because not only did it give MSU that opportunity uh, to score with the two free throws, but it also took Cole out of the game, which I think played into, in a couple different ways, played into the way things went after that for UConn down the stretch. For yeah. one, they didn't have their point guard in those huge possessions late, those last couple possessions. They didn't have their point guard. And you saw what happened. You know, Gaffney got the ball taken away from him by Malik Hall, which was a massive defensive play. But it, it really wasn't – it's the kind of play that your, your starting point guard probably doesn't make. It was just yeah. kind of an unfocused error. And, and then the other thing, which I think really also played into things, just before that, that play by Malik, was Danny Hurley lost his mind. Um, yeah. Uh, there, there's certain look when there's a bad call, I get it. 
you need to let the officials know. If, if for no other reason than because it was going to be UConn's ball after that stoppage in play, you want to maybe give yourself a chance to lobby for a makeup call or, you know, whatever, that you're going to get the benefit of the doubt if there's contact. So I get going at the officials a little bit. I'm, I'm not a believer in the stoicism thing necessarily. If that fits your personality, fine. But there's a place for going after the officials for a second after that call. But he lost his mind. Any yeah. other circumstance in a game, he would have been teed up. Any other any other time, any other score, he would have gotten a tee. I give the officials credit for showing the restraint to not tee him up because he was insane. And I, and I think when they called timeout, they're, they're calling timeout to go into a play to try to get the lead back, right? They're down mm-hmm. one, I think, after A.J.'s free throws. Um he spent half that time out jawing at the officials, not even in his own huddle. So you can question. I mean, there was a mistake made by Gaffney, for sure, throwing the ball you know, kind of lazily where Malik was able to stay tall and, and intercept it. But, man, you, as a coach, you've got to keep it together. Those are big <laughs> possessions, right? I yeah. mean, that's what I thought. Um, yeah. I understand him being upset because it was a questionable call, let's be honest. Or it sure looked that way. Every angle I saw. Um, the, the only thing I would say is, anytime you reach across an offensive player's body, you are taking a risk, and that is what happened. I mean, any coach going back to when you're in junior high will tell you that. If you reach, you run the risk of somebody calling it, even if you don't touch the guy. Um, but but okay, we can all agree it was a, at the very least a questionable call. But. Come on, there's still a game to be played. There's still a possession <laughs> to be won. You're yeah. out there losing your mind like a maniac for half the time out? That's not helping your team. So yeah. I admire the passion, but, man, that was not a good close to the game. I've, I've talked about this before. Um, I have a brother-in-law who played uh, D3 basketball at Williams, but he grew up in Connecticut. He's a huge Connecticut fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was his commentary to me after the game, and I agreed with him. Like he he thought Hurley really cost them down the stretch. You know? Yeah, I mean, if you're a Connecticut fan, you have to feel like you gave that one away, probably. To to some extent, to some extent. But I will say this: I I, I think Michigan State also took it. You know? Yeah. It, it, yep. Michigan, I just, I just mentioned, you know, you talked about the free throws, and yeah, that's true. They hit the free throws, but man, AJ Hogard and Julius Marble were large down the stretch of that game. Those guys went out and made high percentage plays. That that one in transition that I, I already went through, AJ making it like a ninety nine percent pass, also should give credit to Julius Marble for being able to catch it, yeah, and go up fluidly into a layup. I mean that's that's not easy at all. So those I don't want to say that UConn kicked it away. UConn made some mistakes to be sure, but Michigan State also went out and made play after play after play. You know, and, so it goes both uh, Marble's ways. Marble's defense at the end of that game on uh, Sonogo. You know, he Huge. just he kept Huge. him off his spot. You know, like yep he. he he was able to get Bingham back, Bingham down a little bit further than Bingham would have wanted, but he wasn't able to get that on Bingham or on um, Marble, which pushed him out maybe two or three feet 
more than he was comfortable with, and he was missing them. I I could not agree with you more. That this was, I think this was the best game in totality that I've seen Julius Marble play. Yeah, he's had games where he scored like this before in this area. I, I've never seen a defensive effort out of him. Here's here's a stat for you. There was a point fairly late in that game where Sonogo was 7 for 13 from the floor. And I'm pretty sure it was just after that that uh, Markey went to the bench and Julius came in. Mm-hmm. Sonogo finished one for his last five from the floor. And, and you're exactly right as to why. That's the, that's the first time I can really remember, like for a sustained period of time, Julius Marble's strength showing up defensively like that. Mm-hmm. And I think you're exactly right. The key was he moved that kid just off the spots he wanted to be in. And that was enough. Yeah, that was enough. Because Sonogo had a hell of a game. I mean, he that kid – and I do think Markey, particularly in the first half, I thought Markey played pretty well against him. Mm-hmm. Markey didn't get any shot blocks in this game, but he altered a lot of stuff from Sonogo. Sonogo was struggling in the first half. And then in the second half, I felt like for the first 15 minutes or so, he kind of solved Markey a little bit, mm-hmm. um, got himself to the spots he wanted to be in, got shot, got into shot motion quickly. So Mark didn't have a chance to, to, to let his length really play the way it did in the first half. But, yeah, Julius Marble changed the game, both ends. Yeah. Uh, and it also hurt them not having Whaley, which, I mean, you'd have to think is a, a little bit of a byproduct of them not being able to close out Auburn earlier. Yep, uh, possibly, possibly. And, you know, and I, here's the other thing, too. We talk about that down the stretch. Um, it, it, you were kind of waiting to see if the effects of that double overtime showed up mm-hmm. on their legs, you know, and their decision-making. And it took a while, but you could also maybe assume that that may have played a role in how the stretch run went for both teams. That Michigan State was just a little fresher, and UConn was just going to be a little more mistake prone. Um, it was a it was a loss to lose that kid, but that's not a he's not a huge huge producer for them. And you know, UConn's got a lot of depth too, so mm-hmm. yeah. I don't make a whole hell of a lot out of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the other one, uh, that really shown in this one, Gabe Brown, man, 32 minutes, 16 points, 10 rebounds, 7 yeah. to 13, hit two with three threes, um, huge game for him. That, that part of it, the, the rebounding was what I was most impressed by. I mean, the shot making was big too, obviously, although boy, they, the, Connecticut really clamped down on him in the second half. He got that big one late to kind of help spark the comeback, as you mentioned, but the 10 rebounds, man, Gabe, sometimes he looked like he was shot out of a cannon. And, yeah. And he had to be, and Michigan State had to be, because that UConn team, Danny, one one thing that's not bullshit is that from what I've seen now, watching them twice this year, is that Danny Hurley is getting that program back to its essence, its DNA under um, under Jim Calhoun. Calhoun. The, the only thing they're missing is 
they don't have that seven foot guy that they so often had. You know, they they kind of came in right behind uh, John Thompson's Georgetown program and assumed the mantle of Big East program that always seems to have a seven foot kid from Africa mm-hmm. on the roster. They had a lot of them, but they they don't have that. But you know, the kid that with the length, the way that Sonogo plays, and just the length and athleticism that whole team has. I'm not sure that they miss it for forever. Like long before shot blocking came into vogue because of rule changes, um, UConn was a program that defensively relied a lot on shot blocking. You can go back to guys like Okafor and, you know, uh, Sabit. They had tons of them, yeah. And, And, boy, this was a tremendous performance. We talked in the pregame that, these teams were both right at the top in shot block percentage. Well, today it was all one-sided. 13 blocks for UConn, one for Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that's slightly deceptive in the sense that, as I mentioned, Markey didn't get credit for any. He absolutely affected shots and altered shots. But even considering that, man, UConn, that, that is for real. And, and I thought they attacked the boards. You know, mm-hmm. Michigan State actually won the rebounding battle here slightly, which is impressive, and it required an effort like the one Gabe Brown and, and other guys gave. But but Gabe was tremendous on the boards, and, yeah, it's it's nice to see that jumper start to get dialed in again. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is two straight games that they've shot the ball well as a team from deep. They're selective. They're not taking a ton. They only took 14 of them today, you know, and they didn't take a ton of them against Loyola. But if if that's going to be the case, what that tells me is they're being selective about it and maybe shot selection is helping that percentage improve. Because if you look at the stats, honestly, the difference in this game is three-point shooting. It's so even. They They both had exactly the same number from the floor. Um, they were each, I believe, 23 for 64, right? Yeah. 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 23 for 64. But you know what the difference was? Oh, and they both also hit 12 free throws. MSU was 12 for 19, UConn 12 for 17. The difference, UConn was 2 for 16 from 3, Michigan State was 6 for 13. Mm-hmm. There's, your, you know, there's your game, four points. And, and, four points from three. And, and that's, I almost, it's, you have to almost bring up Hauser. He he finally hits it two for four from three, and well, that's, that's a two straight games, you know. That's, and and, and, and by mean. the way, the misses, the two misses that he had were both great shots, and they were in and out. And I've got no problem with him taking them. And that's two straight games that I think, for the most part, Joey is playing the way he has to. You know, yeah. he also for the second straight game. Chip in on the glass. He had six, six fours. Yep. yep. You know, 19 minutes. That's that's solid basketball from Joey Hauser. I'm happy with what they got out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you know, and again, part of the rebounding effort. The one area UConn got them is UConn made more of their offensive rebounding opportunities. They actually got out-rebounded on the offensive glass um, 15 to 12, but so that means Michigan State was a, a decently better percentage in terms of their offensive rebounding rate. But 
UConn turned theirs into 15 second-chance points, MSU only four. And mm-hmm. that tracks with what, anecdotally, just watching the game, it felt like. It felt like UConn was just flying to the offensive glass. And a lot of tip-ins, put-back dunks. There was just a lot of activity around the rim, whereas Michigan State's offensive rebounds were not very productive from a point-scoring uh, point of view, you know, it just felt different. Mm-hmm. But, but that said, you know, Michigan State, they gave up 12 offensive rebounds with the activity level UConn had. If they weren't competing the way they were, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. So I, I do think MSU and, you know, Gabe and, and Joey both a big part of that. Marky too. Yep. Marky had seven rebounds, seven points. Um, but it looked like he was, uh, pressing a little bit with some of the shots. Too many, really too I, I many fadeaways. I would agree. Yeah, exactly. Look, the bottom line is even if he misses on a jump hook, that's still the shot I want to see from him the majority of the time. Yeah. If he wants to, if he's got an open jumper from, you know, 15 to 18 feet, I'm fine with him taking that. He's shown he can hit it. Uh, but, but the fadeaway, let's get that out of the repertoire. I just <laughs> yeah. don't think that's a high percentage shot. And I get it. Sonogo was really giving him and everybody else trouble. The kid had six blocks. We know from the way Marky's impacted games, what that can do to an opponent, right? Mm-hmm. It gets in your head, but the solution is not fading away. The solution is, Hey, you're seven, one with a seven, four wingspan. I don't care how good a shot blocker that kid is. You can go over him. And if you go up straight with a jump hook, there's not a damn thing he can do to block it. I'm, I'm telling you. So, yeah, yeah look, Marky still contributed. But um, this was the least impactful game we've seen from him in a while. That's not to say it wasn't impactful. I still think he played well. It's just you mentioned, you know, offensively, I think he got a little bit outside of himself at times, in the second half especially. and you know, for as much as he disrupted the game still with his length, uh, to not have any shot blocks, well, that's unusual. We're we're getting very used to, you know, four, five, six a night, right? <laughs> yeah. He didn't come up with any. Yeah. Uh, and then Malik Hall, 28 minutes, two points, four rebounds, three assists, uh, but 0 for 5 from the floor tonight. Yeah, he just, you know, look, I, I had this discussion with somebody on the Spartan Mag board after, after yesterday I had – reiterated a point I made on here on our podcast that his game against Loyola to me looked like the ultra efficient version of Aaron Henry. And we said, okay, this is two straight big games in a row for Malik. Can he continue with this? And, you know, my feeling is he has found a new level of play. I still feel that way after today, mm-hmm. but he obviously did score. Um, I, I liked the shots he was getting. I thought he, as much as anybody else, he, two guys, Malik Hall and Max Christie, I thought, really got affected by UConn's length. I think there were plays both of those guys had around the basket that against the vast majority of other opponents, they're finishing. And they weren't Mm -hmm. able to finish them today. Michigan State missed a lot around the rim. And that was, you know, give credit to UConn, man. They're long and they're active. Yeah. And and I think that made it hard on Malik um, finishing. But Again, <laughs> say what you want. You show up late. You stand tall. You make that defensive play, 
and then you go down and you hit free throws, turn a one-point game into a three-point game, that that matters. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. That's I, I take note of that. Guys who step up when your team needs a play made, he did. Yep. Uh, and then Tyson Walker, 26 minutes, uh, six points, a rebound, three assists. Uh, he hit a three-pointer, a couple turnovers. You know, he's another guy that I think got – got impacted a little bit by the length at times. But, look, despite the way this game happened to unfold, my my perspective on things has not changed. Tyson Walker is the guy who could better execute half-court offense. And as long as he's aggressive, and I thought he was decently aggressive in this game, um, as long as he does that, uh, Michigan State's going to benefit from it. Mm. Um, not as strong a game as against Loyola, but uh, I like the fact that he hit another three. You know, him continuing to do that should do nothing but improve his confidence. MSU just needs more out of him. And look, they're going to need more out of him if they're going to beat Baylor tomorrow. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about that. Uh, And then Hogard, uh, 18 minutes, five points, a rebound, five assists tonight for Hogard, uh, and only one turnover. Look, I've <laughs> everybody listening to this knows where I'm at with AJ. I I do think what has shown to be the case clearly so far this year is if Michigan State is in an up and down game, if they're in transition, AJ Hogarth can be really effective because that's where he thrives. In the half court, I I I will not pretend otherwise. When Michigan State had that lineup with under five minutes to go and they're down seven and A.J. Hogard was running point, I was losing my mind. Now, (laughs) (laughs) there's no question that it was the right move. And that's Mm -hmm. why, you know, one guy earns millions of dollars to coach this team and the other guy is sitting here talking on a podcast. Um, A.J. Hogard was the difference in that game at winning time Mm -hmm. because he stepped up. He was solid defensively, didn't get taken advantage of. He made two fantastic plays, as we've talked about already, for Julius Marble. And then he stepped up in a huge situation and drained two free throws to put MSU back in the lead, and they never relinquished it after that. Mm -hmm. I give credit where it's due, man. He had really struggled. And I think for most of that game, you did see, I mean, what was he, one for five from the floor, one for four from the floor. And two of those misses were at the rim. Uh, and they're plays that I know people got excited by the way he played in the Kansas game. And against Mac opponents, he can do it too. But I think A.J. and his, you know, looking to attack the rim and create opportunities for himself doing that. I think that plays well against smaller opponents. But if you look at the games where Michigan State has played, bigger teams or at least teams that are more experienced and stronger, which I would even include Butler in that, but definitely Loyola, and of course today UConn with all that length and experience, it hasn't played as well. And I don't Mm. think that's an accident, and I think – Unfortunately, I think that's probably a preview of what the Big Ten is going to be like. I just, I'm not saying he can never be effective doing that, but 
it's going to be more challenging than you've, for him than you've seen in his better moments as they move forward into conference play. I'm, I'm pretty convinced of that. And he doesn't have a reliable jumper to fall back on. You know, yeah. That's the other problem, is you don't want to really see him taking jumpers. At least I don't. Um, but, hey, today, absolutely a difference maker at winning time. Give him his due. He was great. You know, and there's it's a little bit of a chicken and an egg thing with him because sometimes it feels like there's these moments in time periods of stagnation in the offense where you kind of like his aggressiveness because it's like somebody's got to do something. But well, is, is that because the, <laughs> that he's running the point, and that's why? There, he's, there you go. That would be <laughs> you know? that would be my argument. I think that that's my problem is that I think the the half court offense when he's running it too often stagnates that way because you know MSU doesn't want him to shoot a jumper. The opponents know that too, so that's going to impact. In fact, I've been surprised teams haven't been playing off him more than we've seen because that's what I would do. I would make him prove that he can he can beat you with a jumper. You know, kind of the same way they used to defend Tum. Um, yeah, but I I do think he's just his feel for the position is not great in terms of running half-court offense. That's my feeling. That said, every once in a while, he has moments, and they're moments. They're not consistently, but he has moments where he makes me think, uh, maybe there's a chance that somewhere in there there's a guy who could be a little more consistent with it. Example today, the, the wraparound pass he made to, to Marble, which came the bucket before the transition basket. Um. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think part of the reason there's stagnation in the first place is A.J.'s out there running it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Jay Nakins, nine minutes, uh, two rebounds, uh, 0 for 2 from the floor, and a steal. Yeah, not a not a game where, where the opportunity was really there for Jay. I, I think this was interesting, though, uh, and it'll lead into – Pierre Brooks, who really had his first meaningful minutes of the season late in the first half. Yeah. That they went with Pierre instead of Jaden, and I think that was because Jaden just Jaden and Max both really struggled in this game. They looked like freshmen. They they just were never really in it. Mm-hmm. Um I think in Max's case, maybe the length and the strength of UConn kind of surprised him. Jaden just never to me seemed in the flow offensively. But, uh, boy, they give Pierre Brooks his first chance at real minutes. And it was brief, but he made his impact. He did have a turnover on a a bad decision, trying to kick the ball back through traffic. But he didn't hesitate on those two shots, one of which was a three. And I'm telling you, keep your eye on him because Pierre Brooks, offensively, I don't think that's any kind of fluke. I think he can play offensively right now for Michigan State. Because I felt that way about him as a high school player. Offensively, he's got game that can translate right now. The question is, can he make enough strides defensively to earn Izzo's trust? I mentioned this on the message board uh, earlier today. I think it was this morning. Uh, Maybe it was even yesterday evening. 
What's coming up right now, Michigan State, if you look at their schedule, once they get past the middle or into the middle of December, it really opens up. They've got two stretches. I I want to say between like the 13th and the 29th, I think they play twice, maybe even yeah. just They don't play anything from the 21st until the 29th. Right, and then there's another stretch, I know, because I'm going on vacation from the 15th through the 19th, and they're not playing during that stretch either. So there's going to be an opportunity for this team to get better and for some individuals to make strides. And when you look at guys like Draymond Green and Xavier Tillman, whom I mentioned in connection with Pierre Brooks before, that, as I understand it, was the period where those guys started to make their move. And it doesn't mean that right out of the shoot in the beginning of January they were there, but it's where it started. And then eventually as Big Ten play wore on, they got themselves to a spot where they forced Izzo's hand and mm. he had to play him. I think that is possible for Pierre Brooks this year. They don't need a ton out of him, but man, if they could get if they could get even, you know, seven or eight good minutes out of him a night it changes the dynamic considerably. Mm-hmm. You know, because of the way things were going with Max and Jaden, you also saw Michigan State uh, going to the two-point guard lineup more frequently today, I thought. Yeah. Uh, Hogard and Walker were out there together more often than we've seen. That's okay, but I don't think that's ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, I would much rather, if he's able to hold it together on the defensive end, I would like to see somebody like Pierre Brooks getting those minutes. And so I think what he can do in terms of conditioning improvement and defensive improvement is going to be what tells the story. Can he start to force his way into a role? And I think that period coming up, you know, we've obviously got, you know, another three weeks till we get there. So he's got more opportunities in practice and in games to do it too. But I really I point to that period we're talking about where they've got a lot of time to work on Michigan State, and an individual has a lot of time to work on his game, his body, all of those things. That to me is going to be very critical as a, in terms of a period of development for Pierre Brooks. But he showed well today, and yeah, you know, those points came in handy. Five quick points, and he didn't look afraid. Didn't look like the moment was too big for him. And I, I don't know. It might just be something small, but it seemed like maybe this is the type of thing that you're talking about with him. He seems like he get he on all the wings was getting the deepest in all the way into the corner, like like within inches of the the absolute furthest he could get into the corner when he, as he's running down the lane uh, or the the, the sideline, and that being all the way like as far as you can get, not three or four feet away, but all the way opens it up just a couple feet for them, their action up top. Well, it, it, just, it was just something I, I saw. I was like, man, why don't all the wings get that far deep? I think it's, I think it's, a, good, I think it's a good point, and it's something I, I believe Izzo touched on and we mentioned yesterday, spacing. Yeah. Right? It, it's, it has not been ideal. And that's on the point guards in part, but it's on other guys too. It, it, for example, as you say, when the wings are running those lanes, are they spacing properly or are they kind of drifting into areas where it makes things more congested and tougher for the offense to function? Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's I think it's a good point. 
Okay. Well, I mean, any uh, final thoughts about this one, Rod? That's a good win, man. I mean, yeah. that's, that UConn team, to me, um, and I haven't seen everybody, but I, I've seen Seton Hall a bit. Um, we obviously saw Butler. Uh, I've seen a little bit of St. John's against Indiana. Um, Villanova is still a favorite in that league, and, and rightly so. But I would put UConn right behind them. That, that's, to me, easily an NCAA tournament team. I, I, I'd be beyond shocked if they're not a tournament team. They've just got, they've got too much. I, I would say the one issue for them is point guard behind uh, Cole. Mm-hmm. It is maybe an issue. But you look at, you know, they played, what did they play? They played, uh, they played eight guys today. We know they go one more deeper. They've got a nine-man rotation. They've got plenty of depth, athleticism, and length all day long. Um, so I think that's going to prove to be a really nice win for Michigan State. Yeah, definitely a quad quad one for sure. Without question, yeah. Yeah, I'd I'd be floored if it's not. They could Uh be a a four, maybe even a three seed when it's all said and done. To me, that's not a team that you put ceilings like that on. That's also not automatic that they reach that level. They're not perfect. We saw today, you know, there are flaws there. They didn't shoot well from deep. Michigan State had something to do with that, but – um, you know, they can – they didn't have them today, but they can have turnover problems. Uh, that's one thing we should mention because we talked about it as a key. MSU with only 12 turnovers in the game. You kind of only had nine, but, you know, you put that into the hopper, that's pretty good, especially mm. considering MSU had a three-offensive uh, three, uh, rebound advantage. So that more or less makes it even in those two areas. Um but that was a big deal for MSU. Even though the second half got rough at a certain point, they did have eight turnovers in the second half. But, boy, the first half, only four very cleanly played. Mm-hmm. You know, in, a, in an up-tempo game against a tough, physical, long opponent, it just goes to show you just can't tell with MSU whether it's going to be tolerable or just insanely bad. You don't know from moment to moment. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Big well, win. Um, big win. Yeah. No mistake about that. And that gives them <laughs> another opportunity at Baylor for a, definitely a quad one um, game at least. Um, and a chance to, to, I mean, rocket up the rankings, you would think, after these two games and then a win on Baylor would put them right back into sort of the talk for – a pretty big team and nationally, I would think. Well, Baylor's ranked sixth right now, and having seen them now the, the last couple of days a bit, pretty much all the game today. Uh, I I hate to say this because outside of outside of Gonzaga and Purdue, I haven't seen anybody that's without flaws. You know, mm-hmm. so can I truly say, well, they're sixth, they're overrated? I think they're a little overrated. I don't know how much because, again, it's all relative and, and there aren't a lot of teams playing perfect basketball right now. They're, I know this much. They are not what they were last year. Yeah, 
Have you I mean, seen them today kind of struggle to put a VCU team that's not really a vintage VCU team? Baylor struggled to put them away. Uh, what made last year's Baylor team so great, you, they were a good team overall, but as I think most of our listeners probably realize, the start was um, that guard trio that they had, yeah, right? Teague, Butler, and yeah, they those those guys and, and Mitchell, those guys were outstanding. Oh yeah, David Mitchell, um, and and that's what made Baylor what they were. Um, this group is not at that level. I saw sign, and, and I'm not saying they're bad; they're they're far from bad, but that was a really really exceptional group. And I, what I saw today was a, 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 a several players just making decisions that were questionable at times. I understand VCU presses and, and all that, but I just – this is not a team right now that I look at and think, well, they got a great shot to repeat. Yeah. I, I don't think that. <laughs> you know, they're good. They're going to be a hell of a win for Michigan State, and they're going to push MSU. That's for damn sure. But I just – even though their their numbers, you know, you look at you look at their guys and – and, you know, Cryer was leading them in scoring coming into today. Akinjo was averaging almost eight assists a game. Flagler is a good player, and he's coming back from last year. You know, they've, they've got some guys, but I just don't believe in this group anywhere close to the way I believed in last year's group. And that's a difference. You know, yeah. their interior is still pretty good. But, again, they lost guys from last year's team are are the guys who are playing those roles now as good i don't know if they are um it's it's a good team though make make no mistake about that yeah and a balanced one yes uh ken palm through what six games ken palm's got their offense at six and defense at six yeah so they're michigan state i believe defensively are they number one now uh, I believe they're two. Two. Okay. And and I think two. Yeah. Two. So I think that uh, that's going to be an interesting part of of this game is Michigan State's length and and how that plays defensively because we're now what we're six games in for MSU. And they've seen a variety of types of opponents. You know, you saw Kansas, who obviously has a smaller team than we're used to, and I think that hurt MSU a little bit. Um, had a guy just go off and have a great night, and they've got some very, very good individual talent on that team, no question. Uh, you see a Butler team that maybe isn't as good, even as people thought they might be, kind of picked in the middle of the pack of the Big East. They're not off to a great start, but that game was – on the road, in a very tough environment, and that's an, a Butler team with a lot of experience. So I still think blowing them out was a statement of sorts. Mm-hmm. You face Loyola, extremely disciplined team that had been shooting the lights out, and you really put a clamp down on them defensively. And then today, UConn, another team that's played very well offensively coming into today, and they had earned everything they got, and it just wasn't enough. I think we're getting to the point that 
you can accurately say Michigan State's defense is some level of for real. If someone wants yeah. to say, well, I don't think they're the second-best defensive team in the country, okay, I'm, I'm not going to argue that point right now. But are they good? Yeah, I think they've shown enough. And it's I'll admit to being pleasantly surprised. Yeah. It was it was one of the first things we talked about in the season preview, right, in terms of macro kind of points. Michigan State was a bad team offensively last year, but you figured they'd be better this year just because they'd have better point guard play and maybe better shooting. And I think that's been evident. But what was quietly a problem last year and was overshadowed by the bad offense is that they weren't anywhere close to a Michigan State standard team defensively. Mm-hmm. In, in certain individual games, they were down the stretch, but season long, they weren't anywhere close. And I didn't know, you know, they lost their best individual defender, right? They had one stopper in Aaron Henry, and he's gone. And, and then another guy in Josh Langford, who was reliable at least, and he's gone too. So now you're, you're talking about throwing a freshman and Max Christie in there. You know, um, you don't know how Markey can hold up in terms of minutes. Can Julius Marble be any better than he's been to date? You know, all these mm. things, very, very open questions. And they've answered all of them. I think the Kansas game was not a great performance. If you remember that, Kansas really took them off the dribble a lot. And, mm. and that dribble penetration caused them problems. But other than that, this team has been rock solid defensively, and I think a big, big part of it is their length. It's not all yeah. of it, but it's a lot of it. We talk all the time about how much Bingham affects games, but maybe under-discussed is the way that having guys like Brown and Christie out there, their length on the perimeter is also impacting things. And then you add in the fact that Tyson Walker has been, I think, as advertised defensively. I think Hogard has held his own defensively when he's been in there, and we talked you know, you mentioned it, and I think it was a- absolutely accurate. You look at a game like today, and Julius Marble made an impact defensively. Mm-hmm. You know? Malik Hall made an impact defensively late, and he's been good all year long. So, in totality, this is a really good defensive team. Baylor's a good defensive team, too. Uh, but I, I don't think Baylor has seen a defense like MSU's. VCU is... You know they are what they are. They, they right. track. Yeah. It's not. It's not the same thing. Possession to possession. You know both teams. I, I'm not expecting. I, I guess I would be surprised by a really fluid, pretty game. I think both teams will try to run, much as we saw today with UConn, and so sometimes they'll get in transition. But I think both teams are going to make it difficult on the other to score. That's that's what I expect. I I would be surprised by a game played in the 80s. Maybe yeah. it happened, but I'd, I'd be surprised. And I think you know, that's what Michigan State can hang in there against a team like Baylor is because of the way that they're checking. It, it seems like the emergence of Marcus Bingham, too, has allowed them to maybe sh- shift things up a little bit schematically. Rather than trying to keep everything you know, right in front of you the whole time, they're able to maybe steer people into danger more. You know, almost, almost, you know, let let people get around you to some degree on the end, and then just run into a tree of hands. Yeah, not 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 necessarily let them get around you, but I think you had it right the first part. Steer them, lead them 
into spots on the floor where you think you've got it covered. Right. And where, and where it's going to be tough for a guy to make a play. Mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely true. Absolutely true. Uh, well, I mean, what, you want to get into some of the players here on sure. Baylor? Um, I guess you'd start with, well, their new point guard. He, he's, he was there last year, but uh, Akinjo. Um, well, he wasn't here. He's, a, he's bounced around. Um, Akinjo started oh, he's... out at Georgetown, and then, um, and then he transferred. I believe he played last year at Arizona. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think you're yeah. right there. So he's on uh, his third stop. Um, he's a guy senior, that people, 6'1", 190. Yep. yep. Um, you know, people have been fans of his, and, and i got to be honest, I never really saw it. I don't think he was great today. Um, I didn't look at the box score, but just kind of watching the game, I didn't think he was great. Uh, but, you know, prior to today's game, he was averaging 10 points, 7.8 assists to just 2.8 turnovers. I mean, that's a really good ratio. So he's been dynamic. Um, and he shot okay going into today. 40% overall, 39% from three. Uh, look, I, I think that even though I think he's been maybe less than the hype suggested he was over the course of his career, on the other hand, um, I think he's played pretty well thus far, and I think he'll pose a challenge for Michigan State. Maybe similar to what Cole did today, you know. I think Cole's a pretty good player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And then they also got uh, L.J. Cryer. He's getting 24 minutes a game. He leads them in scoring 17.8 a night, uh, 2.8 rebounds, 2.6 assists, uh, a steal a game, Um, shooting 60 from the floor, 54 from three-pointer. 100% 100% from the free throw line. Yeah, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that Cryer is a guy who's come back but is playing in a bigger role. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah he was there and last so, year. Again, I, I, the numbers are good, you know, just like they are with Akinjo. I just, it's, it's hard to separate them from last year's team because if I say, well, they're not up to the same level, that doesn't necessarily mean they're bad. It just means they're not at the level of a of a national championship group, you know. Cryer's obviously playing very well, and he's shooting the ball very, very well, which is key. Um, so yeah, he's going to be a handful, you know. Yeah, he's going to be a guy that either either Brown, but he's how tall is he? He's not a big he's kid, six one, one eighty five. Right. So he basically is point guard sized. So they're a little small. Mm-hmm in that starting group, and that's where a Brown or a Christie maybe can be disruptive with their length. Yeah. And that's what you'd hope. Uh, and then they got uh, Kendall Brown, who's a freshman, 6'8", 205. Um, he's, he's good. Yeah. He's good. I believe he was a prep school teammate of Jaden Akins last year when Jaden transferred to Sunrise. Mm-hmm. Um Kendall Brown can play. I, I, watching him today, in today's game, you know, he didn't do anything in the first half, and then the second half he was tough. I mean, yeah. re- really, really tough. Um, he's he's shooting the hell out of the ball. He looks to me like he's tough off the dribble, and he's unlike Cryer. He's got size. I'm pretty sure he's around six seven, six eight. So six, eight, yeah, yeah. So he's a guy 
who you know is much like Brown and Christie. He's long and he's he's going to play bigger at that that spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they got the uh, mayor, um, the mullet guy <laughs> that we saw, uh, twenty one point six uh, minutes a game, eleven points, um, four point two rebounds, forty yeah. percent from the floor, twenty five percent from three. But he's been better than that. And, and he was better than that today. He hit some big shots. Yeah. It seemed like every time VCU seemed about ready to to get it into a one-possession kind of game, Meyer would step up and hit a three. Now, he's he's an interesting player. You know, you don't see guys like him very often. He's he's not particularly physical, but he's 6'10", and as you say, he can shoot. Historically, we've seen that. We saw it in their game today. Earlier this season, he'd struggled a bit from deep, but he's a threat, no question. Just a guy that has a knack for making plays, I think. And he's been there. He's a senior. He's been there the whole time, and he was a fairly big contributor uh, last year. Absolutely. He's been through it. He's one of the key guys back because he played a big role on that team. So, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, that that experience definitely counts for something. Uh, And then they got another big guy, uh, Jeremy Sochan, 6'9", 230. He's a freshman. Uh, he uh, doesn't start, but he gets a lot of minutes um, coming off the bench. I thought he was. I thought he was good today. And, and Sohan um, was a guy that people may remember. There was a period where Michigan State recruited him. Uh, he played at Huntington Prep, which is AJ Hogard and Miles Bridges' old prep school. Uh, and there was a period where MSU was involved in that recruitment, and then. You know, then they weren't, and he ended up at Baylor, which usually means you're not an OKG mm-hmm. um, for one reason or another. Uh, but I liked him today. You know, this this tournament is my first extended viewing of him, and I, I think he's I think he's a guy who can make plays. He looks like a potentially a very good rebounder from the four. Uh, he came into today averaging almost seven a game. Mm-hmm. Um, not yet maybe the stretch four that they envision him to be eventually, but um, yeah, he's a good player. He'll, he'll be a handful. Uh, and then at the five, they have uh, Sohan and Mayer kind of switch at the four. Sometimes Mayer's at the three, um, but the center, they're usually starting uh, Chachua. Is that how you say it? Chamba. Uh, no, he's off the bench. They're starting Samba. But, but both those guys, they're similar players, and you saw it today. Thamba yeah. uh, is is uh, scoring slightly more, at least he was coming into today. Both of them are, you know, they, they play the way you want a big man to play. They're both better than 60% shooters from the floor. They're both, they bring a physicality. They're longish. Um you know, Thamba is, is more of an impact guy defensively. He came into today averaging almost one and a half blocks per game. Uh, Chamwa Chatua does not really block shots, but um, but he's a better rebounder. He's averaging – he came into today, and I don't think he hurt this because he seemed to play well. Uh, he came into today averaging 8.4 rebounds a game, and that's in less than 19 minutes. That's really productive. He's their leading rebounder by a considerable margin, actually. Um, despite basically splitting minutes. But you can look at them as as sort of the equivalent to Markey and Julius at MSU's five. They're more or less sharing that position. They're a little more evenly split 
than MSU is. MSU is playing Markey a little bit more than Julius, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's a good combination because they're both guys that are experienced. They've been through it too. You know, they played roles on last year's team. Uh, and then uh, Flagler, Adam Flagler, um, who was with uh, Baylor last year, six three one eighty, shooting fifty two percent from the floor, twenty eight from three. Yeah, um, he hadn't shot well yet, but I, I I think he was hurt a little bit in the preseason, so he may be shaking some of that off. I, I liked him last year. I thought he was a really good. He was the only reserve that really made an impact with that guard group that they had, but he did make an impact. He was, he was in 40, 43% last year from three. Yeah, exactly. And so they would certainly expect that he will shoot better uh, as as this year goes along. But, um, you know, they're fortunate enough that right now, because of, of Cryer and, and Brown emerging and Akinjo transferring in, that they still have the luxury of bringing Flagler in off the bench, mm-hmm. and so that's that's a nice that's a nice spot to be in. Yeah, uh, and then the only other guy, Dale Boner or uh, Bonner, six two one seventy junior, um, but he only plays like a turn a game, three three to five minutes a game. And he's uh, he's um, a transfer, uh, I believe, from Division two. Uh, as you say, I, I've got him actually playing about 13 minutes a game. He's not scoring less than two points a game, um, but he struggled from deep and really struggled overall. But you know, you're, again, you're talking about a team that it's a nine-man rotation essentially, and he's the ninth guy. So mm-hmm. they don't need to ask a lot out of him. It's just you know maybe get somebody a blow. I think they feel pretty good about. You know, Cryer and Brown on the wings, Akinjo at the point, and um, and Flagler is the primary all-purpose reserve back there. Um, they don't need a lot out of Bonner. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, uh, what kind of keys do you think we're looking at? Well, look, uh, Baylor hasn't been crazy good from three as a team, and we've mentioned some guys – primarily Meyer and, and Flagler, who have shot well in the past but have not shot well, at least up until today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would still be worried about Baylor as a three-point team. Um, I think that uh, Michigan State, you know, Baylor doesn't have a lot of guys. Like, they're big kids. I, they were effective today, but I don't think they've got anybody – they don't have anybody the equivalent to what Sonogo was as a post threat, in my opinion. They no, don't they're quite like that as a post score, right? So I think job one defensively is you got to hold them down from deep, and that that means holding down attempts, you know, first and foremost, mm-hmm. and then just making every shot they take a difficult one. Um, so that would be the first thing I would say. A second key is once again we go back to the usual turnovers. You don't want to be making mistakes that um, that turn into easy baskets for Baylor. I think what gives Michigan State a legitimate chance in this game is the way they're defending. So you want to minimize the cheap points that Baylor mm-hmm. gets. That means keep them out of transition. One good way you do that, don't give the ball away in those situations that lead to easy baskets. Um, rebounding, 
you know, uh, this statistically this isn't a dominant Baylor rebounding team, but uh, I think Michigan State needs to definitely needs to be uh, looking at getting an edge on the glass because I expect that much like in this UConn game, even if MSU does a pretty good job in the turnover department holding them down, uh, I would expect Baylor will have some kind of edge there, hopefully a small one. So that means Michigan State probably needs to, you know, do a, a better job than Baylor does on the glass. And, you know, I did – VCU is a very different team than Michigan State, but one thing that has some commonality is I thought VCU really attacked the offensive glass for a lot of that game and and kept balls alive and made it difficult. MSU has personnel to do that too. Mm-hmm. So that would be wise to see Michigan State getting some things done on the offensive boards. And then I would say one more – you know, it's been true the first two games in this tournament. Michigan State needs to shoot threes. We talked about them needing to defend threes. I think they've got to continue what they've done these last two games, getting high percentage looks and burying them. And, you know, today, six for 13 as a team, heck, it could have and should have been even better than that. Yeah. Because they had some shots. I mean, Joey Hauser, he hit a couple, but he got robbed on a couple more, you know, um, they had good looks that just didn't go. This this was a day that I think in terms of quality of shot that they generated and the guys taking them could have been even better than they were. It could have been a plus 50% day easily. They've got to continue that. I mean, I think, again, Baylor's a really good defensive team. So if you're MSU, you got to find ways to score, and, and the three is going to be an important part of that for them. No question. Okay. Well, um, you know, any final thoughts heading into this championship game? I think the the biggest takeaway for me, we talked about this at the outset. You go into these things wanting to win a championship, and now they've given themselves a chance to do that. So that's mm-hmm. great. Um, and a win here would be big. A win over a team rated where Baylor is and with Baylor's talent and all of that. That that would be quite a statement as to where Michigan State is at the moment. It would it would solidify some things. But on the other hand, I kind of feel, I, I like where they're at anyway. They're a long way from perfect, but I think they're also a long way from being a finished product, which is good. Um, so this is about development. You know, Izzo talked about one of the things he liked about this field was the variety of styles of play that you're going to see. And, and I think also the caliber of opposition, you know, I, I still maintain, I don't think I see a final four team in this field, but there also wasn't a soft touch. And there have been a mm-hmm. lot of close competitive games that have been played in this thing to date, right? So that's yeah. a form of that fact. So by winning the first two games, I think Michigan State's already made it a success is, is where I land. I'm not saying, hey, whatever happens, you know, or like the line Drew Valentine had yesterday, their program, you know, he felt like their program is a long, long way past moral victories. Well, that's true for them. Where's Michigan State? <laughs> yeah. but, but at the same time, no matter what happens tomorrow, I'm going to look back at it and say, hey, they beat two pretty good teams, two teams that I expect will be in the tournament. That's, mm. that's meaningful on neutral floors. That's a big deal. So they've accomplished some. And here's one more thing maybe to think about. 
it's it's easy to overrate the concept of clutch, right? Mm-hmm. This is something that people who really study and believe in uh, what we'll loosely call analytics really like to harp on, that, oh, there's no such thing as clutch. And you see that, uh, you know, there's no difference in the value of a basket in the, in the 39th minute of a game or the third minute of a game. Well, that's true. Clearly, mathematically, that's true. But I think today was an example. Michigan State was down seven under five minutes to go, and you got a choice. You can either fold or you can continue to fight and find ways to make plays to win a game when it's all there for the taking, mm-hmm. you know? The fact is there is a different kind of pressure in that situation than there is in the fifth minute of a game. There just is. Anybody who's played a sport can tell you that. Yeah. Um, success in, at that time of the game is not necessarily predictive of what will happen in similar situations in the future. But I do think there is absolutely value in being able to perform in those circumstances, and being able to draw on that experience as your season goes along and the impact that that can have on your confidence. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's an exaggeration. You know, I really don't. And so Michigan State, two straight days, has done the job when it matters. You know, yeah. when a post game was there in the balance and you can either make plays to win or find ways to lose, they have made plays to win and against good opponents. That's big. That's a big, big positive to come out of this thing. And, again, I, and that's true no matter what happens against Baylor. But I, I'd sure like to see another win, and I think they're capable of getting it. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that's that's kind of where I land. So it, it's it's been a lot of good stuff in this tournament through the first two days for Michigan State. No doubt about that. All right, well, we'll uh, get everybody, hit everyone after this game tomorrow. And until next time, the Final Four is not on the schedule. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way, offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.